All right, so it is missionary prayer night, in case you didn't know that already. So you need a couple of things. If you didn't get a handout on the way in, uh, put up your hand and some, somebody will magically appear. I don't see anyone from the Connections team, so keep your hand up and eventually that'll happen. You should have also got a copy of Rope Holders. So Rope Holders is our, is our publication that comes out. Uh, whenever we do missionary prayer night, it's going to have some updates, some trip updates, things like that. So you want to make sure that you have those items. So tonight we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 10. Just make your way there. And there are people coming through with handouts, so you should be good. So on June 30th, 1960, the Congo, which is where my clothes are from, if you're wondering, the Congo gained its independence from the country of Belgium. And right away, the Congo goes into a crisis. Um, civil war erupts, rival factions are fighting for power, and it's, it's chaos. Um, nobody knows who's leading. And at that point, many, many foreigners left the country. So between 1960 and 1965, this conflict continued. And during that time, nearly 100,000 people were killed. Well, what was happening at the same time is there were foreign missionaries living in the country, and a lot of them left, but some of them stayed. And so tonight I want to tell you about one man. His name is August Eicher. He and his wife stayed. They stayed in the country. One night, though, in 1964, so they're four years into this conflict. It's 1964, and they're sleeping in their bed. And August wakes up in the middle of the night, and he doesn't wake up because he hears a, something loud. He doesn't wake up because he hears gunshots. He doesn't wake up because someone's banging at the door. He wakes up and all he hears is silence. And if you've ever spent any time in the jungle, you know that silence is, um, is kind of abnormal. It's not normal. So he wakes up and he realizes something's going to happen, like something bad is going to happen. So he taps his wife and he wakes her up. And as soon as she wakes up, the door crashes open. So they wake up in the middle of the night. They're in the Congo jungle in a house, in the mission house next to the village where they're ministering, and they wake up. And outside their door are men that look kind of like the men in that picture. So a group of rebels in the Congo that called themselves the Simbas, which is a Swahili word for, if you ever watched Lion King, lion. So they called themselves lions, and they would cut cut markings into their face to have scars. And so these men show up at his door and immediately he thinks the worst. They're going to take us out. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill my wife. They're going to, who knows? And so immediately these, these men pull August and his wife outside of their house and, and they start just, you know, they, they're beating them and they're talking to them. And, and, and the whole time they're asking August, like, are you not afraid? Are you not afraid of what we're going to do to you? Are you not afraid of, if we murder you, what, are, what do you think we're going to do to your wife after that? And the whole time during that whole ordeal, August had this great peace. And he said, I'm not scared of what you could do to me. And so the Simbas, these, this group of men, they're getting frustrated because they play off of fear and they play off of intimidation and they, and they weren't getting that. They weren't getting anywhere with August and his wife. And so August tells the story that he had this great peace come over him that, you know what? No, we're not afraid. So hours go by. These men, these Simbas, are fighting over what to do with August and his wife. They don't know what to do with them. They've never encountered somebody that wasn't afraid of them. So they don't know what to do. So eventually they come to the conclusion, they say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going we're to let you live, but we're going to take your house. 
So August and his wife, he grabs his wife and they start walking down the trail. And you know that feeling like when, when, you're, when you're downstairs in your basement at night or in a, in a creepy place and, and you just want to get up the stairs and you feel like somebody's watching you? You're like, you know that nobody's there, but it just feels like something creepy is. So that's what they're experiencing, but there's actually dangerous people back there. But the whole time they're praying and they're holding hands and they're saying, we're not afraid. God is with us. He's going to get us through this. And this overwhelming peace comes over them and they walk slowly down the path until they get to the bend in the path and they know that they're safe. They knew that if they would look back and show fear, that it would be an instant death. They knew that those guys had their guns trained on them. So August and his wife make it around the corner and they hide in the jungle for the next week until things dissipate and they can get back. If you look up August Eicher's name, if you Google him, you will find maybe one news article There was a news article in the New York Times from 1964. On February 3rd of 1964, it mentions his name in this news article. It mentions that August and his wife were missing in the Congo. And that's all that we know about him. We don't know where he came from. We don't know what his ministry was like after that. We don't know how many people came to the Lord. We don't know any of the impact of this guy's ministry. And so what I want to talk to you tonight Um, I want to talk to you tonight about the no-name apostles. I want to talk to you tonight about the people who have made a huge impact on the kingdom of God, and yet nobody knows their name. So what we're doing on Missionary Prayer Nights is we're taking missionaries and we're giving you their bios. We're telling you about their lives. And I think that we really need examples in our lives. We need the examples of the Hudson Taylors and guys like that that were groundbreaking. We need examples of people that, that started mission works and that, that we can read about in the, in, in the news and that we can read about on Google and that we can read books about and that they make movies about. We need those examples. But we also need to know that the work that we do for the Lord, maybe nobody will ever know our names for that work that we did for the Lord. And we need to be content with that. We need to be okay with that. It's interesting in the, in the book of Luke, chapter 10, where we're going to be tonight, excuse me, where we're going to be tonight, we see that Jesus appoints 70 men to go on a very specific mission, but we don't get the names of these 70 men. And maybe you're thinking, well, it's 70 people. Like, that's a lot of names. There's not really space for that. Well, read the Old Testament, and you know that God has room for names. Like, This book is big enough to include the names that God wanted us to know. But God left the the names of these men out, and I think that there's a lot that we can learn from them. Paul Chappell says this. He says, While great evangelists, dynamic leaders, and wealthy Christian benefactors do exist, the work of the Lord is accomplished by ordinary Christians. It's the men and women that open the door for us. It's the men and women that are out watching the street right now so that your cars don't get broken into. It's the men and women that clean the church. It's the missionaries that sell everything and move to Vietnam. But nobody in history, nobody's going to really know their name. These are, these are the people that carry on the work of the Lord. So, a few examples from the Bible. In the book of John, chapter 6, tells the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. If you could go two slides ahead, please. The book of, so John chapter 6, we get the feeding of the 5,000, right? Uh, one more slide. I don't count. There it is. Nope. Okay. I, maybe back one. 
Does anybody trust that I know what I'm talking about? No longer. John chapter 6, Jesus is feeding the 5,000. Do you know the name of the kid that gave his food up so that Jesus could use it to multiply? You don't know his name because it's not mentioned. He's just the lad. He's just that kid. It's like, there was a kid one day who brought his lunch and gave it to Jesus, and Jesus used it to feed 5,000 people. What's that kid's name? I have no idea, because it's not in there. You remember in the book of 1 Kings, when Elijah is, is on the run, and Elijah comes into a town, and a widow comes out to meet him, and this widow has nothing left, and Elijah says, hey, God told me to ask you for a meal, and she's literally making her last meal. She said, I have enough food to eat one meal, and then I'm going to die. That was her plan, because that's, that's how desperate she was in life. So she obeys Elijah, and what happens? Miracles start to happen in her life, because she, she listens to Elijah, she obeys. What's that woman's name? The widow. She's like, it calls her the woman, the widow. We don't know her name. In, in the book of Exodus, Chapter 18, Moses is overwhelmed by the amount of work that there is to do. All these people are coming to him saying, interpret the law for us, interpret the law. We have this dispute, we have this issue. We don't know what's happening. And Moses is overwhelmed. His father-in-law, Jethro, shows up. And when Jethro shows up, he says, you need to appoint men to help you. We don't know the name of those 70 men because it just says they started to help Moses. And the word that, the, the, the phrase that the Bible uses in Exodus 18, 22, it says that these men were called to bear the burden with Moses. So they, there was a great need in these men who we don't know, they just bore the burden with Moses. They just joined in the work that Moses was doing and they helped him immensely and he could focus and work on other things. So we don't know the names of the 70 that we're looking at tonight, but I think there's a lot that we can learn from them. We have 15 minutes to do 12 points. It's going to be a quick ride. Hang on. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 says this. It says, After these things the Lord appointed other 70 also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would go. First thing we need to know about these guys, fill in your blank. Number one, they were sent. They were sent. They were not, they, they did not appoint themselves to this mission. They were appointed to this mission by the Lord. They were sent. And this is the example that we see all throughout the Bible. Acts chapter 13, we see the first missionaries sent out. Um, we see missions teams being sent from our church, church plants going out, and guess what happens? They are all sent. So look at the cities on the map. These are all places where, where, where MBT is having an impact around the world. And, and we're not just going there, we're being sent there. The second thing we need to know about these, these men, these 70, is that they went together. They went together. They went on two-by-two two trips. No lone ranger Christians, okay? First, or in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, this is a really familiar passage, but it's really good. We need to hear it. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12 says this. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. You ever try to take on a task alone and it's overwhelming and someone else comes alongside of you and now it's, it's much less overwhelming? You can get a lot more work done with double the people. 
unless they're the wrong two people, then you actually get less work done. You've probably experienced that as well. Like, oh, we just wasted 30 minutes talking and we didn't actually get any work done. Let's move on. That can happen. Ecclesiastes goes on to say, it says, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. I was thinking of the stories that came back from the Romania and Hungary team and how illness hit that team really, really hard. Imagine if you traveled to Romania alone and you got super ill. Who's going to pick you up from the floor of the bathroom? Like, who's going to do that for you if you're alone? Go together. You've got somebody to help you up. The verse finishes, finishes this way. It says, again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? We go together. Verse 2, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, it says, Jesus is talking, it says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So a few things we need to learn here. Number three, they were compelled by the great need. They were compelled by the great need. Jesus tells them ahead of time that there is a great need. He says, the harvest truly is great. So something that, that, uh, that I grew up doing, unfortunately, is this thing that's called detasseling. Does anybody know what detasseling is? All right, a few like cornfield, grew up in the cornfield type of people. So detasseling is, and I don't know all the biology behind it, so just bear with me. You see the, the rows of corn in your picture. There are male rows of corn, and there are female rows of corn. So this is like a birds and the bees pollination thing that happens. So there's a male row in the middle. You see those, the, the ones that are standing tall that have the tassels. So the tassel on the corn is the yellow part on the top of the corn. It grows after the corn gets tall, the tassel comes up the top. So that's the male row. The female rows are in the middle. There's usually a row of male and then five female rows and then a male. And maybe you're thinking, I like those odds. <laughs> For detasseling, you have to go through the, so the female rows are not allowed to keep their tassels. You have to go through and physically walk through the field and pull them out one by one. And so at 13, I was on a detasseling crew. And it's terrible because you show up at 6 a.m. and the corn is wet from the dew from the night before. And so you're wearing rain gear. But it's also July in Illinois, so it's 105 degrees. So you're, you're dry. You didn't get wet from all the corn, but you're soaking wet because of all the sweat. And then by the afternoon, the corn is dry. So you're like, okay, I can wear shorts and a t-shirt. But if you've ever been close to corn leaves, they cut and they slice. And so you walk through the field and you're just tore up. It's an awful experience. And when I started detasseling, it was $4.25 an hour. And they're like, we'll give you $4.50 an hour if you never miss a day. An extra quarter, like, I'm good. I'll stay home every day for a quarter. It's not worth it. Like, what are you talking about? So sometimes we would stand at the end of a field and these rows of corn would be a mile long. So you would have to pull every tassel for a mile and they plant corn about 30 inches apart, 30 inches between each plant. So 30 inches apart for a mile. And sometimes you had two rows so you had to pull from this side and this side. It was overwhelming. You would stand at the end of the field and think, 
Like, I, I gotta go to college when I get older so I don't have to do this the rest of my life. <laughs> like, something's gotta change. The harvest was so great. Nairobi is a huge city. Toronto is a huge city. There are billions of people in our world that do not know Jesus. The harvest is great. It's huge. There is a huge, huge need. So what does that require? It requires number four. It requires us to be dependent upon prayer. So these men that were sent out, Jesus tells them right away, he says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. What he's saying to them is, you can't do this on your own. You can't do this without the Lord's power. So they prayed. Some of us, some of you are thinking and praying about becoming missionaries. Some of you are thinking about getting on the mission field. Some of you are thinking about short-term trips and maybe you're praying about a long-term trip. You want to know how to prepare for missions? Learn to depend on the Lord. Learn to depend on the Lord here and then when you're there, you'll know how that works. You'll know how to depend on the Lord. So learn that here. Number five. Verse 3, he says, Jesus says in Luke 10, verse 3, he says, Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. So number five, they embarked on a dangerous mission. If you were at ACR, maybe you heard the testimony of Mike Renault saying, when we got on the ground in Boston, they weren't necess- their lives were not threatened, but that field was really, really hard. It was really, really tough. It was a really dangerous place to be a Christian. If you want to be popular, if you want to make a good living, um, if you want to really establish yourself, probably being a Christian and being a missionary and a church planner is not really the way to go about that from the world's point of view. It's dangerous. Number six, we know that these men went to the nations. So, um, in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sends out the 12, he, says that, he tells them, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go to my people. They need to hear the message. They need to be prepared for my coming. He doesn't give that restriction to them. right? He sends them to the nations. He doesn't tell them. He says, go wherever I'm going to go. Which I think is a really similar commission that we have. Go wherever people need to hear about me is how I would say it for all of us. Go to the nations. And we're, we're, we're really privileged to be a part of a church that has a reach to the nations. Praise the Lord for that. Number seven. Okay, no, here's what he says in, in verse four. He says, carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man by the way. So what did they do? They depended upon the Lord. If you ever travel internationally, and you want to spot the Americans, or you want to spot the missionaries, how do you spot them? They look like that. Like, they've got the backpack, and, it's, and they're carrying the, the, like, the $60 Yeti uh, water bottle that's like 80 ounces, and they've got a fanny pack, and in their backpack they have you know, hand sanitizer and they've got their Bible and they've got three extra pairs of socks because they might sweat and they've got sunscreen and they've got, you know, the bug spray and they've got burn cream and they've got Pepto-Bismol and they've got Tylenol and they've, like, we go and we're very, and I'm not saying don't be prepared, 
But a lot of times we take the Lord right out of the equation because we work so hard to be ready. We work so hard to plan every moment. We work so hard to come up with every contingency plan. Well, if this happens, we have this guy ready for this. And if this happens, we, and we've taken our dependency on the Lord and we've just eliminated him because we have all the things that we think that we need. You'll never be able to take everything you need. If you're going on a missions trip, if you're going to serve the Lord, if you're going to be a no-name apostle, you'll never have everything, everything that you need. You always need to be in a spot of dependency on the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9, there's, I think, this really, it's this really sweet prayer. So Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9, here's what he says. He says, two things have I required of thee, deny me them not before I die. So two things, he's, he's praying to the Lord. He says, remove far from me vanity and lies. That's a great prayer. God, I don't want anything vain in my life. I don't want any lies in my life. I don't want anything that's not the truth of your word in my life. And then he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. So, Lord, I need to be in that sweet spot between being, really ri- between being rich and being poor. And I think if we were all honest, we'd all say, well, I'd like to be a little bit closer to the rich part, if I could. But here's the reason why. He, he finishes this prayer and he says, so he says, feed me with food convenient for me. Give me what I need. He says, lest I be full and deny thee. So if we have too much, we deny the Lord because we don't need him. But then he goes on to say, um, he says, and lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. So if you have too much, you don't need the Lord and you forget about him. If you don't have enough, you end up stealing. And, and that's not, I think there's like a commandment about that. So we, we don't want to be there. So we need to be right in that sweet spot where we're depending on the Lord. Three minutes, five more. Number eight. These men, they knew that their message would be rejected by some and accepted by others. Jesus tells them this in verses five through 11. He's saying, you're gonna go places and some of the places are gonna accept you and some of the places are going to deny you. We don't measure success. Brian Brian Clark said this once. He said, we don't measure, so we, we were talking, I was talking with him about evangelism and their church does all this street preaching and, you know, with all the street preaching they do, their church isn't 5,000 people. Um, people just are hard and they're not coming to the Lord and, and Brian's perspective was this, he said, we don't measure success based on conversions, we measure success based on our obedience to what God called us to do understanding that some people will reject the message, understanding that some people will accept it, we, we are motivated by pleasing the Lord and by doing what he called us to do. Number nine, this message that they're delivering is critical. It's critical. Now, the message in, in this passage is, you know, he, he says in verse 11 that they're, they're proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now, we understand our message. We understand the Great Commission. We understand that we're past the time of Jesus and we're into the church age and we're delivering the message of, of Jesus for salvation. I think we understand that. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7 says, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. And so you see in this passage, you see a lot about feet and you see, oh, if you go into a place, shake the dust off your feet and we don't have time to get into the doctrine or the, the background of the feet. But Paul in Romans chapter 10 repeats this. He's saying, you remember back in Isaiah when, when we said that the, those feet were beautiful? 
And Romans 10 is the passage where, where Paul lays out the gospel, where Paul lays out, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And then how do they hear unless they have a preacher? Well, he's saying that preacher has such an important message and they have such beautiful feet. So let's labor to have beautiful feet. Number 10. Number 10. So skip down. You're in Luke chapter 10. Look at verse 17. It says, And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. So they completed their mission with joy. They had joy. They were so glad to have been used by the Lord for this mission. They returned with joy. And this is easy to do and say when everything goes well. What about when you show up on Sunday morning to teach in Kidtown and you, you open up your room and you, you walk in and you're like, somebody had a party here last night and they didn't clean up. That's a little bit more hard to say, I'm going to serve the Lord with joy today. Maybe it's your, work to ser- your week to serve in the cafe and you walk in and you're like, a hundred people ate dinner here last night and nobody washed a single dish. And now I have to make coffee for 400 people. It's a little bit harder to have joy then. But these men, throughout the difficulties, throughout the hard times, they had joy. One more verse, and then we'll wrap up with the last two points. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Write that down as a cross-reference. Habakkuk chapter 3, 17 through 19. says this, it says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, that's, that's bad, bad news, neither shall fruit be in the vines, more bad news, the labor of the olive shall fail. We're not going to have any olive oil, no olives. And the field shall yield no meat. So it's just getting worse. It says, The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Nothing is going well. Verse 18, Habakkuk 3, 18 says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Everything was bad, and he chose to have joy. Joy is a choice. As we serve the Lord, as we go on trips, as we are called into the mission, we need to serve the Lord with joy. Verse 18, so they come back and they tell Jesus, the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And here's Jesus' response in verse 18. He said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Um, that's great, guys, but like I was there when the world was made. I was actually kind of part of that. Remember when Satan felt like I saw that? And so, number 11, they weren't as great as they thought. Um, and, and just a practical thing about missions, if you go on a trip, you're going to be really excited about that trip, and you're going to come home, and you're going to want to tell everybody about it, and your coworkers are like, this is my chance to, to share the gospel with them and, and to tell them all about my trip, and you're going to tell them about it. They're going to ask you about it at the lunch table, and you're going to tell them about it. You're going to be really excited. You're going to go on for 10 minutes, and you're going to share pictures, and it's going to be amazing. And they're going to look at you and say, cool. Um, Did you get that email I sent? Because you need that report, like, tomorrow. They're not going to care as much as you do. It's just a reality. So be prepared for that. Number 12. So let's, let's end with some happiness, right? Number 12. They had a reason to rejoice. Look at verse 20. He says, notwithstanding in this rejoice not. So he's saying, don't rejoice that, that you had, that you were able to overcome these, uh, you know, that, that the devils were subject unto you. He says, rejoice in this, 
because your names are written in heaven. So let's keep an eternal perspective as we talk about missions. And let's be okay with no one knowing our name, but let's remember that our names are written in heaven. And the work that we do for the Lord, it really matters. What you're doing to serve the Lord in this body is contributing to the mission that God has given MBT. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for sending out 70. I'm thankful that they didn't have names and that we can learn from their examples. Um, I'm thankful that, that your word is true and good and right. I'm thankful that we have teams on the ground right now and we have more teams going. And, and I'm thankful that we can do short-term and long-term things. God, I pray tonight that you would help us to see that our work for you matters. It's important. Um, and yet it doesn't matter if nobody remembers us or if nobody knows our names. Help us to stay humble and help us to depend on you in Jesus' name. Amen.